I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday. We're on schedule again. September 19th, 2017, a.k.a. the day that iOS 11 comes out for iPhone and iPad. And hey, you guys should get it. It is a revolutionary new update for podcasts for multiple reasons. For starters, there is a new user interface, and I personally think it is much prettier. You have more uh, things that fit in with the current state of the rest of the operating system, and it just looks really nice. You can see your Listen Now tab now has recent, recently played things, and your library still looks good as always. Of course, you can have the long takes in there. And the browse menu shows you the top charts and featured all in one place. It's really nice. And one major thing, especially for creators like yourself, you have podcast types now. There's episodic podcasts, which are like this one, where the most recent episode is at the top. And then you have serial podcasts like Serial or S-Town now, where they're in storytelling order. So... You could have a podcast with something that's trying to tell a story about a murder mystery, and you can listen to those in order now instead of having the most recent ones at top. At the top, so this is a new episode, new update for podcasts. And as for this one, it will probably be optimized for iOS 11 either this week. I'm hoping this week. I'm praying this week, or maybe next week if the things that I do for iOS 11 don't work in a few hours when I upload this. But nonetheless, you should get iOS 11. I hope I've convinced you. If not for the podcast, check it out for the Cooler Control Center or for Siri or for all the brand new things. So with that out of the way, let's get to our first topic of the show. Another fight, we talked about the Mayweather-McGregor fight on August 26th. And last Saturday, there was a big boxing match that was an actual boxing match between two boxers, two very talented boxers, 27-year-old Canelo Alvarez and 35-year-old Gennady Golovkin, a.k.a. Triple G, who we will be referring to as such from now on. The result of the bout was a draw, which, if you can imagine, was controversial. For starters, though, there was lots of action, as much more than Mayweather-McGregor. Once again, I did not watch the fight because I'm not paying 80 bucks, and I didn't feel like it. But nonetheless, there was a lot of action. Canelo was on the ropes for a lot of the fight, and Triple G was going at it. He was much, he was very aggressive. Both fighters were aggressive. And as far as the judging, the fight went all 12 rounds. The fact that it was a draw wasn't necessarily controversial, even though many had it for Triple G. But the fact that one judge gave Canelo 10 rounds to Golovkin's 2, when most people had it either 6-6 six, six, or 7-5 to Triple G, is leading many people to call for, for removal from official boxing matches from here on out. So this fight makes Canelo 49-1-2. And Triple G is handed his first non-victory. He's now 33-0-1. So interestingly, before the fight, during the weigh-in, Canelo is an inch and a half shorter than Triple G, but they both weighed in at 160 pounds. So I'm no boxing expert, but I couldn't help but wonder, if he weighed in heavier than maybe he should have, could that have hurt him during the fight as maybe he was a little more 
sluggish than he could have been, though he was able to make go the distance. He still had a strong chin, so he didn't get knocked out or get seriously hurt. And also, wondering on Golovkin's side, how much longer can he go? Because the draw perfectly sets up a rematch, as both fighters are have been clearly stated that they're up for a rematch. But I'm wondering if Golovkin's 35 now, so you'd think he's on the descent, but now he's fighting one of these established boxers that's been there for almost a decade now. So wondering if he can keep this level of fighting up for much longer. But also wondering, is this fight good for boxing? Because as we said, it sets up a rematch perfectly, and both fighters want a rematch, and that means more dollars for Las Vegas. But then again, there was some bad judging in this, and especially when you have analysts like Teddy Atlas, who is a national treasure, I believe, saying that this was corruption in boxing and then that judge was probably paid off. I don't know if that kind of rhetoric is going to bring more people to the sport. I know he's just telling the truth, and he's been very unfiltered individual. But he's accused corruption in boxing before, and there's been some controversial judging, such as in Manny Pacquiao and Jeff Horn, which was ruled for Horn. So we'll see if this fight and the rematch is inevitably going to cause, is going to help out boxing, draw more fans, and see if also we can bring it back to live TV if it doesn't, because that would be nice, or free TV, because that would be nice. Okay, now, number two, let's go to college football. It's already week three, can you guys believe it? Go to the scores. Number nine, Oklahoma State beat Pitt 59-21. to Number seven, Michigan beat Air Force as expected 29-13. Number 10, Wisconsin beat BYU 40-6. Number 8, Ohio State crushed Army 38-7. Oklahoma wiped the green wave of Tulane 56-14. Number 1, Alabama beat Colorado State 41-23. Number 5, Penn State blanked Georgia State 56-0. And number 6, Washington beat Fresno State 48-16. Now into the big games we're going to talk about. Number 3, Clemson, defeated number 14, Louisville, in a highly anticipated rematch from last year's game. And the score of that was 47-21, to so a blowout for Clemson. And Clemson actually scored 26 unanswered points in the second and third quarter. And Lamar Jackson, the Heisman Trophy candidate out of Louisville, his first pick of the year was actually a pick six during that 26 unanswered run. So big game for Clemson, of course, to win. And this was another big showing for the Clemson defense, especially in the second and third quarter during that run. They only allowed three points to Kent State, six to Auburn, and only 21 to this high-powered offense in Louisville. And this means that they're a type of team that could, again, beat Alabama as they did in last year's national championship game. The toughest teams left on their schedule are Virginia Tech and Florida State, and Florida State was destroyed by Alabama on opening week, if you guys remember. So they have a legitimate chance to, again, possibly run the table, and get into the playoff and try to beat Alabama again. Although I'm sure Alabama will have done enough preparation and they may have lost enough weapons, especially the quarterback, Deshaun Watson, though Kelly Bryant is definitely a good replacement for him. I don't know if they have the firepower to beat Alabama again, especially the offensive firepower, but that defense really showed up and they look really good in this game. The other big game from the weekend... Number four, USC beat Texas in double overtime, 27-24, to at Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. And this was the first sellout there, actually, since 2013 versus Stanford. So this was a game that a lot of people were waiting for, 
And that may have been because the last time Texas came to Los Angeles, it was for the 2006 Rose Bowl with a 34-game win streak, USC Trojans looking to capture their third straight national title. But other than that, yeah, this was a highly anticipated matchup. And it was a defensive battle for most of the game, even though the score at the end might not show it. I mean, this is college football, so scoring 20 points is a defensive battle. And this was just a fun game to watch because there were some clutch drives at the end of regulation where Texas freshman quarterback Sam Ellinger led an amazing drive in only his second start ever after Shane Bouchelle is no longer the starting job. It, he went 14 plays, he went 91 yards in 14 plays in less than five minutes, which is pretty amazing for a freshman quarterback. And that included a 4th and 10 conversion and a throw on the run for a touchdown. So it wasn't an easy throw, it was a, the corner of the end zone, nice toe tap from the receiver. And on the other end, that put Texas up three. So Sam Darnold got in the red zone in, under, in only 40 seconds with some clutch throws. And that set up a game-tying field goal also from a walk-on freshman. And this walk-on freshman in double overtime would make a 31-yard field goal or would make a 43-yard field goal to win the game. So for USC, they continue their perfect season which is being 3-0, but nonetheless still a perfect season. And being the four seed now, they have a chance to move up to three in the AP poll and possibly prepare themselves to be in that playoff if they can continue to run the table after getting those tough tests like Stanford and Texas out of the way now. As far as Texas, they proved their legitimacy after losing their first game to an unranked Maryland team. They destroyed San Jose State in a nice bounce-back game. They shut them out. And now coming close, very, very close to beating a team like USC with all the skill that they have, they've proven that they really have a chance to, at the very least, win maybe eight or nine games and make it to even possibly a BCS Bowl, though with two losses, that'll be hard. The NFL, the second week, was not too eventful with too many upsets, but nonetheless, there are a few games that I want to talk about. First game, the Patriots beat the Saints 36-20. to And Tom Brady had a great game, 30 for 39, 447 yards, three touchdowns, remarkable completion percentage, over 75%. And this is a typical Patriots game because they had four touchdowns by four different players. So if you're a fantasy owner, maybe you're not so happy about that. And if you're speaking of fantasy, if you have Gronk, uh, good luck. But this shows that Brady is still capable of destroying good teams, and he says he wants to play till he's 45, and I really believe he can. Also, the Pats' defense held the potent state's offense to only 20 points. Drew Brees still had a decent game, but a lot of his scoring was late. And this is a good rebound for them for the defense from last week's loss to the Chiefs, in which they give up 42 points, and they were the main reason for the loss. And as far as the Saints, who lost this game and are now 0-2, they need a running back probably to establish himself because you look at the good teams, most of them have a solid back like Ezekiel Elliott or now Ty Montgomery emerging in Green Bay that they can hand the ball to and know that he can get some yards. And as far as the Saints, Mark Ingram and Adrian Peterson had the most carries with eight, and neither had more than 55 yards. So if you don't have a back that you can give it to, like Mark Ingram has been a 1,000-yard back before, but if he can't do it again this year, then 
who are they going to rely on besides teams are just going to put all their best players into the pass. And people have been talking about Alvin Kamara, who looks to be a rising star in New Orleans, but he hasn't developed the repertoire with the rest of the offense yet to start getting those touches. In the other game, the Sunday night game, the Atlanta Falcons, the Green Bay Packers, 34-23, although the game was not quite as close as it may have seemed. The Falcons' offense and defense really looked good in this game. They, the Falcons' offense actually scored 24 points in a row in the second quarter going into the third, and the defense scored seven of those points. Devontae Freeman had multiple touchdowns and looked back to his last year self that tore up defenses. And as I mentioned, the defense was great because their semi-forced fumble and scoop and score and they only gave up seven points in the first half to this potent Green Bay offense. Even though the Falcons were up by, what, 24 points going into the fourth quarter, you never really think the Packers are out of it. I mean, I sure didn't, because Aaron Rodgers always stay, stays calm and cool and collected. I mean, what's his motto? R-E-L-A-X, relax. But the only problem for the Packers is the defense couldn't keep any momentum that the offense had. The Falcons they scored 10 points in the last three minutes of the first half, and Green Bay was receiving or at the beginning of the second half, so they couldn't hold the Falcons to hopefully give the offense a chance to start the third quarter to tie the game or take the lead. And also, even when the Packers got to within 11, the Falcons couldn't get third down stops, so and they didn't get them until... Atlanta was at like the 20-yard line. So if you can't get third down stops, you can't stop the clock, you can't give the ball back to your offense, that's not good. And they need to try not to be exploited in the secondary as much going forward. Another note from this game, Aaron Rodgers reached 300 touchdown passes in his career, and that's 13 games fewer than any other quarterback at 144 games. So that's an average of two touchdown passes a game his whole career. It's pretty remarkable, and he can still play, so we'll see how many touchdowns he can throw. Okay, topic four. With the end of the Major League Baseball regular season rapidly approaching, let's take a look at the playoff picture. In the division races, Cleveland has clinched the AL Central, Houston has clinched the AL West, and Washington has clinched the NL East, each with commanding leads in their divisions. Cleveland's fresh off their 22-game win streaks. They're ready for the playoffs. Houston's led by their young bats, and they have 90 wins so far, so they're ready for the playoffs. And Washington's kind of has a 91 season, and they've played consistent ball all year, so we'll see them in the playoffs. The Dodgers have clinched a playoff berth. They have looked to overcome their 11-game losing streak with a recent four-game winning streak, and they, interestingly, will probably play a division opponent in the wildcard round, as right now, Arizona and Colorado look to be entrenched in the wildcard spots, though Milwaukee is only two games back of that second spot. But nonetheless... It looks like the Dodgers are going to play a division opponent, and that's going to be tough because they don't have a they have a very good record against the rest of the league. But against the NL West, they're playing about 500 ball, so we'll see if they can survive that first round and keep on going. As far as the other division races, Boston leads the New York Yankees by three games, and unfortunately, they don't have any more head-to-head matchups this year. But that'll be exciting to follow going down the stretch, especially with, of course, the storied rivalry. And the Chicago Cubs lead the NL Central by three and a half games against Milwaukee. They look to be primed to clinch that division and make the playoffs the year after winning the World Series for the first time in 108 years. As far as the AL wildcard, 
The New York Yankees and the Minnesota Twins are currently in the one and two spots. And the Los Angeles Angels are only one and a half games back, which is interesting because they've only made the playoffs once since 2009, despite having the firecracker that is Mike Trout. So we'll keep you updated on the Major League Baseball race. And I believe at next week's episode, the MLB season will almost be wrapping up and heading to the playoffs. So, of course, we'll keep you updated on that. Last major topic of the day, a little under-the-radar thing, Reese Hoskins. I think I'm pronouncing that right. He is a 24-year-old left fielder for the Phillies and made his debut on August 10th, so fairly recently. And through 38 games, and this is actually the same stats as through 34 games, he had 18 home runs and 39 runs batted in, which is the most ever in a person's first 34 games. And this stretch has left even major leaguers in Oz. I believe a teammate and his manager talk about asking for his autograph, and it's crazy what he's been able to do. Think about it. 18 home runs in your first 34 games. That's crazy. And he's kind of not gotten much national recognition because he's with the Phillies, who are the worst team in the league. If he was on the Astros or if he was on the Dodgers, he would be getting a ton of recognition, kind of like Chris Taylor has for the Dodgers. The Phillies, meanwhile, haven't had a winning record in six years. And this might be the start of them being good again, but it also might not be because they don't really have many pieces that look good going into the future. Though we have seen rebuilds of seemingly hopeless teams pay off in the form of the Astros and even the Cubs at one point. And also, he's probably going to have an Aaron Judge-like sophomore slump next year. And we can already kind of see the beginning of it, as in his last four games, he hasn't driven in any runs, and he went hitless in his last game. So he did, however... Talked with John Carlos Stanton in one of their last series, so he's looking for advice from his elders, which is always good to see from a rookie. And he said on Scott Van Pelt's show, quote, you're going to be bad at some point, and I know that, and that Stanton said to not get complacent because this game will catch up to you. So he does have that self-awareness and that humility that you want to see in a rookie, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how he can progress as a player and if he can survive those slumps. Kind of like Aaron Judge has. He's gotten back to his home run hitting form, although his average might not be up there. So another young rookie to watch as we progress into the 2018 season, although that's way ahead, but we'll see. All right, now it's time for the quick take. Jerry Jones defends Ezekiel Elliott's lack of hustle. Okay, so the context for this play is it is a 35-17 game, or it might have been a little better than that. But either way, the Cowboys are down to the Broncos on Sunday. And there's an interception thrown. And Ezekiel Elliott doesn't run back on defense that hard. So he had a horrible game in this game. And I don't know if you can defend his lack of hustle for not trying to chase down the interceptor. But I believe that when you have your star player, you don't necessarily wanting him going 100% on plays where he doesn't necessarily have that much of a chance to make a play. I think you want to set an example as a star player of what to do, but I think you can do that on the practice field also and kind of tell your players, look, I was just tired or I I don't know that comes off the best, but nonetheless, I think you have to defend yourself in that case. I don't think this is that big of a deal because I'm sure if you watched a lot of players, they don't give 100% hustle on every single play, but of course, this is a bad look for him. And this shouldn't affect him too much going forward. I think this is just a headline grabber. It's not going to mean too much.
that is it for this episode of the podcast. Don't forget to email thewongtakes at gmail.com, thewongtakes at gmail.com, with your questions, comments, or concerns. If you ask questions about sports or really anything else, I'll answer it on the podcast. Check out the Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash thewongtakes. Also, check out the website, thewongtakes.wixsite.com slash thewongtakes. You can find full archives of the show. And that is it again for this episode. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.